Men, please be seated. Please take out the insert that is in your bulletin. This insert has the passages I will refer to. I am certainly personally more comfortable just working through books like the Gospel of Mark over those two years and then looking forward to starting 1 Corinthians in the new year, Lord willing. But from time to time, it's good to have a, a topical treatment of some really relevant issues that face us. And I have prepared for you for these four weeks some considerations about the gifts that God gives us. I told you about that purse that was given to my wife. That was the main gift. But in the pockets, there were fives and tens and twenties. So that's one big gift that was somewhat expected, the main one, but there were many other gifts that came with that gift. There's no question. We're talking about Advent. We're talking about Christmas. We mean to say it is God's greatest gift to give us Christ who would save us from our sins. There's nothing greater than that. But Jesus brings with him many other gifts that he pours out on us. I've only captured four of them. Two, they're related. The first two are related and the second two are related. The first two, the gift of adoption. That was so wonderfully spoken of in our Advent testimony. We think of not only are we pardoned wrongdoers, it's not that God the judge just sends us out of the courtroom not guilty any longer because of Christ. He gathers us to himself as his sons and daughters. It's the gift of adoption. Uh, we have all the rights and privileges of the sons and daughters of God, the King, because of Christ. That's the first gift we really focused upon in week one of Advent. Related to this, if we're adopted sons and daughters, that means we have brothers and sisters who are in the same boat. We're in part of a fellowship. We're part of a communion of saints together. We have, by God's design, been placed in a local body with all its imperfections, many of which you bring to it. We together are a communion, and it's the way God builds us up. We cannot grow as an island unto ourselves. We have to be together where the multiple of God's gifts have been given. And together we grow. Even through the confrontations and the conflicts and the difficulties and the challenges, we grow by God's grace. It's a gift to us to place us in fellowship with other believers. Last week I tackled a gift that's a little more difficult to capture with specific verses. It's the sense of God's being in control of all things and giving us so many things to enjoy. And I called it God's gift of experience. Just all the wonderful things of life that we can do and be part of. And when through the lens of Christ, you could see them as God's gift, they become promptings for you to give praise to God. They may be common occurrences for any human being, but through the lens of Christ, you are able to give praise to God because you understand that they are gifts from him. It's like the fulfillment of the things God gives us to do comes when we are able to praise him. It's a gift from God to have these experiences. Now, closely related to God's gift of experiences, is a gift I want to talk about today. His gift of stuff. You know, we're a day or two, depending on how nice your parents are, away from the accumulation of a lot of new stuff. The nicer parents, a little bit tonight, a little bit tomorrow, a little bit Christmas Day, 
the less nice parents, Christmas morning, and you can just feel the anticipation, especially among the kids, about that thing that they've been looking forward to. Now, lots of approaches to this. This isn't an exhaustive sermon on stewardship or materialism or the things that we need to speak about and consider. Some of that will be addressed, but I want us to think in terms of the stuff that God has given us as a tool, something that can be used as promptings to give him praise. With that, I have two verses that I want to begin this consideration with. They are the first two verses on your insert. Please hear God's word as I read. First James 1, 16 through 17. Two verses. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And then the psalmist, 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the midst of an age of extreme materialism. And all of us probably have way too much stuff. Lord, yet at the same time, we read of your material blessings and the good such things do for the building up of people in the expansion of your kingdom. Please help us in the midst of our culture in our particular circumstance. Please help us to strike a biblical balance as we consider your many material gifts. Help us to see the stuff of our lives as tools for blessing, tools for encouraging, edifying, or as things that are weighing us down and need to be pitched. Give us honesty about this. Lord, please give us sober thinking and balance as we consider this challenging topic briefly this morning. Make our view of stuff to be molded by your word and not the world around us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you know, we are on the brink of the largest accumulation of stuff day of the year. This year, the list of gifts is as big as ever. There are smartphones that will be given watches that will be received, tablets or e-readers and in all sorts of various electronic devices to read or play games, video game systems, sound systems. They even have a speaker tower now that you can buy and stick your eye whatever in the top of it and it'll play the songs for you at full blast. Various computing gadgets, of course, but there's cameras, remote control, helicopters, exercise equipment that at least will be good coat racks for you within the year, gift cards, Jewelry, purses, clothes, espresso machines. The list goes on and on. And you know, the Bible is loaded with references to money and things that money buys. And we live in a culture, let's face it, where the economy is, is really driven based on the idea of, of having private ownership of stuff, private ownership of the means of production as well, and the production of goods and services for profit. And we celebrate that, and that's certainly one of many systems in the world, and it's very useful in many respects, no doubt. And the very term capitalism, it has capital in it, it has to do with money and the transfer of money and stuff and services. 
The accumulation of stuff is very natural in the outworking of this particular economic culture that we have. There are pros and there are cons, no doubt. It's not really my focus. But unless a person is biblically grounded, it's very easy to get swept up in the culture's drive towards the accumulation of stuff. In fearing legalism or sounding too hard on the matter, we skirted a bit in church, or the extreme happens and we have this Americanized view of Christianity where we assume that God's favor is upon us because we have a lot of stuff when that's not a biblical concept at all. God gives poverty too. But we have to recognize none of this comes to us in a vacuum. We all deal with these challenges. A modern observer said it well about our economic culture. Our economy is based on spending billions to persuade people that happiness is buying things and then insisting that the only way to have a viable economy is to make things for people to buy so they'll have jobs and get enough money to buy things. Right? I mean, that's true. So we have to start any consideration of God's gift of stuff, especially on the eve of the biggest accumulation of stuff day of the year, with a reality check about the dangers, and then consider its uses as well. We can be like the rich young ruler who spoke a big line about wanting to be rightly related to God, but was actually sold out to the God of stuff in his life. We have to be honest and careful about this important topic. Now, I want to start this the way I ended, or the way we considered the gift of experiences. I'll put it to you this way. God gives us all sorts of stuff or things to enjoy. When these things are viewed as gifts from God through Christ, we can have great joy in such possessions or concerning such possessions. These things become promptings to praise God. To put it another way, the way I have it in your insert, just two sentences. We'll think of it in this way and then ask a question. God gives us stuff to use for his glory. Material gifts from God prompt us to praise him. And so a guiding question, a question I would hope all believers would want to ask, even as uncomfortable as it can be, Let's ask the question, how may I glorify God with my stuff? I have three ways in which I want to answer this in the balance of time we have together, and I want to share some scriptural principles with you concerning this. So, again, here's the question, and I think all of you would probably ask this question, how may I glorify God with my stuff? Well, number one, the question isn't worded right. It's a good question. It's kind of a hip sermon question, but it's really not a good question in what it communicates. How may I glorify God with my stuff? See, there is the problem right there with how we view stuff. And we have to get that reprogrammed before we can go on to rightly relating with the stuff we have. So the very first point is that it's not actually my stuff. It really isn't. It's God's. I'm a steward of God's stuff. It may seem like a simple difference, but if we train ourselves to think in terms of things as not ours, but God's given to us so that we might steward, you will have a different approach to the stuff, and there's a much lower chance of that stuff owning you instead of you owning it. How may I glorify God with his stuff that he gives to us for a time? Well, look at the next verse that I have there on your insert. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and most everything in it. I'm glad you giggle a little bit there. Because that's not what it says anywhere in the Bible. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness 
The fullness thereof. And even in this day, in Psalm 24, in David's day, thousand years before the time of Jesus, the fullness of everything that we're enjoying today, the earth had in its capabilities to produce these things. It's all God's. It always ever has been. No, David did not have a smartphone, but the ability to have a smartphone built could have happened. All of it's in the earth. The fullness of it is God's. Every bit of it. The world and those who dwell therein. I don't have the verse there, but Psalm 50 says something similar. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the fields is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world in its fullness are mine. God claims all of it. Imagine telling God that something we have is ours. It's not. Now, you may be given the responsibility of caretaking it, so that comes with responsibility, but it's not yours. So how may I glorify God with the stuff he's given us has to start by asking the question that way. Not how I may, may I glorify God with my stuff. When you say mine, you go down a road that leads you to believe you own it. This last election cycle, which I think we can all agree, we're happy is over. But I remember one particular thing the president said that he just absolutely got shellacked about. He said, in talking to these business owners, if you got a business, you didn't build that. Somebody else made it happen. Now, I'm not here to discuss the particulars of that. I know why people got upset. He was speaking about how, in his view, government-funded education, infrastructure, research, all that assisted businesses to get where they are. They didn't do it alone. But that went viral, and you know how that was played in the press and how it was viewed. And that's an interesting debate for sure. But what it struck at is the heart of the American mindset is that, hey, I've got my business, I built it. Don't you tell me you did anything about it. It's self-reliance. every second wants to know and and, and enter your house if someone would spill something on your rug do you just freak out because of it or someone gets on your couch funny and you oh watch the couch are you one of those people relax it's not yours 
It's God's. We have to really reprogram our thinking about stuff to begin with before we can even talk about how to enjoy stuff. You won't enjoy stuff if you think it's yours. Now, I don't mean to say you're renting it either and you should just trash it. I'm saying that it's been given to you by the God of the universe, so use it for what it's purposed. First Chronicles 29, this is David, who is as rich as you can be rich. In First Chronicles 29, he says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And I have another verse there. Colossians 1, talking of the supremacy of Jesus. Colossians 1, 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. The stuff we have in our possession that we've accumulated, it's not ours. So your view of stuff and how to handle it will change when you come to the grips, come to grips with the truth about it. It's God's, not ours. We're stewards of God's stuff. And everybody wants to be happy and content. And they wonder why when they have all the stuff, they're not happy and they're not content. Because they don't understand who owns it and who brings all the things of earth to come to be. And when you start to grasp that, that's when you can say like Paul says in Philippians. I'm not speaking of being in need, he says, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. How was Paul able to be content? Knowing that God owned it all certainly was a big part. If you believe that you own a particular possession, then the circumstances surrounding that possession will affect your attitude. If it's a favorable situation, you'll be happy. If it's a difficult circumstance, you'll be discontent. Knowing that God owns it all and that you are appointed as a steward is the necessary starting point to rightly relating to the stuff God gives you. It's not my stuff. It's God's stuff appointed to me to steward. So if you should get an Xbox, let's say, Christmas morning, what are the ways in which you can steward that? Well, we'll get to that in a moment. But ask the question. It's a worthy question of everything. If it's all from God or this piece of clothing or this toy or this tool or whatever it may be, if everything on the earth is God's, it's not over-spiritualizing to ask the question, how might I best steward this? Well, how do we steward things? How do we relate? How do we glorify God with the stuff he has bestowed upon us to be stewards of? Well, here's the second point. Use it. Enjoy it. Wear out the wheels on the big wheel. That's what it's made for. A big wheel sitting there, perfect condition in the garage is worthless. Wear out the wheels. Tear it up. Use it for what it's designed for. Enjoy it and share it. Use it, enjoy it, share it. And do so with the mindset of building others up, bringing joy to others, enjoying to look upon something. Uh, back to the experiences as God's gift. Think of, it, think of these things and this stuff in those terms. How might I be prompted to glorify God by this stuff? Look at a few passages with me. I have there Hebrews 13, verse 16 there on your insert. It says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. 
So first off, we should share what we have. Think in terms of it. If it's God's, he's bestowed it upon you to manage. How can I share what God has given? Think in terms of sharing it first. That's difficult. That's not our normal way of thinking about it. Think of things that are very valuable to you, and it's not the first thought to share them. But they should be used to bless others. You're not an island. You're not the only person on earth. God gives you things to build you up so you might be a blessing to others. Maybe the very thing can be shared. And be generous with your things. The passage even says to share to the point of sacrifice. I've said this many times, and I think it's true in my own life. I've given a bunch, probably, if you looked at the percentages, a lot maybe, compared to the average American, but sacrifice, not a whole lot that I've cut out so that I can give to this or that. But Hebrews is saying, share your stuff. And the sacrifices themselves are pleasing to God. But notice what Paul writes. This is particularly impactful to me. He's writing to a pastor, Timothy. And as a pastor, it's difficult to preach on topics that you know will irk people or bother people. We really do want to be liked. And when you speak about something that's so, uh, that so pierces a particular culture, it makes you nervous a bit. And so Paul's writing to Timothy about a topic that's always made pastors nervous. It's the very one I'm talking about to some degree. And look what he says to Timothy. You know, don't, he doesn't say, you know, there's going to be some rich people in your church you're really going to need to pay this or that ministry for. So go easy on them. It's not what he says to Timothy, young Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, 6, 6, 16 through 17, uh, 17 through 18. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Keep that phrase in mind, the uncertainty of riches. But on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Do you see how much is in this verse? They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. First off, we are not to trust in stuff. It's utterly uncertain. God has never intended the stuff of earth to be what you put your stock in. In fact, the reason why he takes it away oftentimes or gives it to and fro based on his will is just to kind of remind you, don't hang on to that stuff because if you're hanging on to it, you'll fall when it falls. And the harder you hold on to it when it rises, the longer the fall when it comes out from under you. You know, every year you'll hear stories of, of people who have gone from not having much to having a lot, whether it be a lottery ticket winner or, or athletes are probably the most uh, stunning ones. And you feel, I, I legitimately feel bad for these individuals when their story comes out. And not too long ago, I saw a special with Mike Tyson, uh, the boxer who had rose to fame in the 90s. He made 350 to $400 million dollars. And now he has none of it left and he's trying to pay back because of a bankruptcy settlement. Zero out of 400 million. How do you spend 400 million have nothing left? Well, he bought several 420 horsepower Bentley Continentals that had lamb's wool rugs, a phone, and a removable glass roof before cars had phones even in the early 90s. It's one of the only, only 73 of these and he has several. He spent $2 million on a bathtub. That's how you lose $400 million. I was reading about John Daly, the, the golfer. He gambled away between 50 and $60 million. He, he admits to having lost in one slot machine session at a casino $1.65 million. Now, it's awesome to be able to look at these guys and laugh at them. But you know in your little world, when you do your budget every month, 
that there's little items you don't really want to talk about, whatever they may be. And we are prone to squander things, to be bad stewards of things, have a wrong relationship with them, and they start to own us. You know, I, early when I came to Redeemer, I was talking to a man who I'd met who was uh, a few years from retirement, and he was talking about, and not in a braggadocious way, just simply saying that God had blessed him to the point where he was easily a millionaire. And most of that was based on the fact that his company, he had most of his money with his company, and that's true. But within 18 months, it was down 50% from where it was. And this is a man close to retirement. This is not a case of, well, it's going to come and go. It's going to go up and down. But you've had it for so long, and you, now you're at this point where you can retire. But yet within 18 months, it keeps plummeting, and no one seems to be able to know why. And it's one of those things. Well, to this point, it's down 90% from the time it was all the way up to the level it was that made him a millionaire. So it's not just the rich and famous. And this is a very wise person that I uh, know of. You just can't trust in it. It's uncertain. Know that. It's the nature of it. He provides us with everything to enjoy. Enjoy the stuff. So how to steward? Enjoy it. Share the stuff with others. Use the stuff for its purpose. Bless others with the stuff. Don't get too attached to the stuff. Don't trust in the stuff, whatever you do. It says in verse 18, they who have lots of stuff are to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Share that stuff that you have. That's certainly God's intention for the things he blesses you with. Note how the early church related to one another regarding stuff. In Acts 2, 44 and 45 that I have there on your outline. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's not a New Testament concept alone. I, that's always brought up about the early church and the wonder of how they communed together and they shared their stuff. But I was reading in the Old Testament a couple different instances, one that I put the verse there for you. When Israel was displaced by the exile, after 70 years they were allowed to go back, they lost most of their property rights. And so they're back with very little. God blessed some of them with things to throw a big feast when they're going back to rebuild. In the particular wording in Nehemiah 8.10 shows us this is a concept that's pervasive. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine. So they've been given these things to enjoy and send portions to anyone who has nothing, nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. Now the, the fat and the sweet wine, those were celebratory. It's not that there are people that this was a matter of giving them food that they needed to sustain themselves. It was part of a celebration. And if you've been given this stuff, share it with others. That's what, that's what the word is saying. Celebrate, enjoy the occasion. Don't leave anyone out. As long as that thing or that stuff isn't taking away from clear callings of God and mission and outreach and ministry, we can enjoy these things without guilt and we share them with others. And we recognize their gift from God and they prompt us to praise him. You know, I was thinking about these people that have had so much and they lost it and just how that is just broadcast for everybody and how embarrassing it must be for them. But I also thought, I have not heard too many stories, too many biographies of a person who, you know, had lots and lots of stuff and then donated it or gave it for the cause of the kingdom, maybe to their church or to mission enterprises or feeding the poor, you name any kind of thing that would be the hand of God working itself out in ministry. 
I've not heard of too many people have gone bankrupt doing that. Oh, he, the reason why he lost his 400 million is he gave too much to his church. You just don't hear that. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just saying, generally speaking, it doesn't happen much. Or I think that God just, he takes stewards who have those kinds of resources and he keeps multiplying them for them in most cases so they can give in that way and be generous in that way. Now, most of us won't be given that kind of, that amount to steward. But all of us in the little things ought to be faithful because God is not limited in how he multiplies them. There's one last thing I'd like us to think about and maybe challenge us all with, myself included, as I consider this upcoming accumulation of stuff day. Don't hoard stuff. the, The hoarder TV show is really entertaining. Why are those shows so entertaining, though? It's the same reason why group therapy is popular. Because we'll find somebody in that group that's worse than us. So you watch a hoarder show. Wow, I'm glad I can walk to my bedroom without having to move boxes. I'm good. Okay, seriously, just do this check. You know what you're going to get, most of you, tomorrow. We keep some of the kids guessing. But for the most part, they know what they're going to get. Well, there will be something else get, get gets pushed to the back shelf or down to the basement because something new is coming in. If you keep walking through the basement seeing last year's, the year before's gifts, the gift, get rid of it. Do something with it worthwhile. Give it to someone who will use it, sell it so the money can be used for something better. Whatever the case, why would you just keep it there as a testimony to having too much stuff? They're like little idols that sit there. That scene when Luther uh, comes into Frederick the Elector's hoard of relics and just is aghast at how much stuff he's collected. If you walk into our basement sometime or, or some rooms with more knickknacks than there is space to put them on, we might stop and think, maybe we've got too much stuff. I can't say what it is. Is it being used still? Does it still bring it? Those questions you have to answer, that, that's part of your Christian liberty. I'm not filling in those blanks for you. But I am telling you that most of us have a lot of stuff that we won't get rid of. Well, I can't get enough money for it, so, so you let it sit there in the basement then. Give it to somebody. Don't hoard. Matthew six nineteen through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I promise you that if you get an Xbox and you have a uh, a Wii, you're not going to do both of them nonstop. I hope there's other things in your life going on. So give the Wii to someone who's got no Wii. Right? What's the point of you keeping it on the shelf? If you got a GameCube, no one plays GameCube anymore. Well, someone will if you give it to them that don't have any of it. And, you know, adults, it's funny, but there's lots of stuff in our lives like that too that we don't need, that someone else can use or you can somehow liquidate and use for other purposes. And it takes effort to do it, but it's well, well worth it. Claire Winger Harris, not a Christian, writing in 1928, said this, Already in the last few decades, you have realized the utter futility of encumbering yourselves with superfluous possessions that have no useful virtue, but which, for various sentimental reasons, you continue to hoard, thus lessening your life's efficiency by using for it time and attention that should have been applied to the practical work of one's life's accomplishments. Now, I know there's tons of ways we waste time and efforts. There's no way to eradicate that forever. 
Not till this, not till we see Christ again. But there are so many ways in which we rob affection from God and His world and His purposes because we have stuff that we hang on to and it takes away, it sucks a bit of our life away. Gotta be honest about that and get rid of it. If you think it's collecting in your house that you've not used for months, get rid of it. Give it to someone who can use it. If you have closets full of clothes that you haven't worn in months, get rid of them. Be honest about hoarding or accumulating or storing up. It's not the material that's the problem. It's the relationship we have with it and how we put it in these, these altars almost by keeping them for so long. Why are you keeping that? Can that item be a better use in someone else's hands? Sold for money to give away or pitched altogether? Having stuff isn't in itself the issue. It's the hoarding of it, the accumulating, the beginning to trust in it or to put value in it that's beyond what God says is valuable. You know, Jesus told a parable in his day that had to really shock people, especially those in this agrarian society that were working to try to, to build their businesses. This is the parable. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. The language already, my crops. What should I do? I have all this production. What do I do to store it all? See, the angle that he's coming from is wrong to begin with. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Again, the issue isn't how much God was giving him. It was his view of it. It was his stuff for his purposes so he could relax, so he could have the life that he thought he wanted. It was for him, him, him. So I need to wipe out the old stuff, build bigger stuff, store more stuff so that I can do what? I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Stuff is a great blessing, but it's also a great responsibility. Stuff is a tool, not objects worthy of devotion. I say use it or be sure you lose it. It's not worth it. Sell it, donate it, trash it if you have to. God gives us stuff to use for his glory. Material gifts from God prompt us to praise him. So when you get that Nook Touch Glow Light tablet or that LeapFrog Explorer tablet, the new boots or the sweater, the new sound system, the new bike, the new watch, the new camera, the new phone, the new this, the new that, just remember, it's a prompting to give praise to God. Use it for what God has intended it to be used for. And think of what else needs to be moved along if it's no longer useful to you. See stuff as a prompting to praise God. It can be fun, it can be relaxing, it can be invigorating, it can be healthy, it can be a relationship catalyst, these things. See stuff as a tool for edification, not a thing of inherent value on its own. So, as you approach the biggest accumulation of stuff day of the year, may you and may I ask the question, how might I glorify God with the things that are His, that He makes us stewards of? And how might I bring blessing to others through it, no matter what it is? Let's pray. Father, as we consider all the things that you have blessed us with, 
Please guide us by your spirit to think the right way about all of it. Help us not to trust in stuff. Help us not to place affection upon things. Help us to see things as blessings from you, to be enjoyed, to be used, to bless others, and to bring glory to you. Lord, make us a mindful people and honest people about these things. Help us to be a careful people, purposeful, and a very generous people. Lord, as it relates to this stuff, help us to be stewards of it and not owned by it. Father, in all things, please give us the mind of Christ. Help us to set our affections on things above. Give us a vision of your kingdom and the right use of material things in that light. I pray this in the name of Christ, for his glory and his dominion. Amen. Let's turn in our hymnals to 204. We'll sing as we stand, and we'll sing verse 1 and verse 2 of Away in a Manger. You may be seated. It's my privilege and pleasure to invite you to the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's my pleasure every week to invite you to a table that God's given us as a gift. And it's a gift that should prompt us to praise him. As we consider coming to this table, we should come as worthy receivers, the Bible tells us. And how to receive the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner requires us some, to do some examination in First Corinthians, Paul tells us to examine ourselves and see, are we discerning the Lord's body? I think what that means for one part is to see where our trust is, where our confidence is, where do we put our hope? If we're trusting in what this table represents in the broken body of Jesus Christ, the shed blood of Jesus Christ to pay for our sins, if that's what we consider is our only hope for standing before a holy God, then this table nourishes you, builds you up, strengthens you. But if your trust and your hope is in something you've done, something you've accomplished, something you've earned, something you've merited, what you've done good versus what you've done bad, 